0: Perfect song uh, to sing as we talk a little bit about Joseph today. Um, Before I do, though, I want to say keep Frank Miller in your prayers. He got COVID, and so Frank is recovering at home. I don't think his symptoms are too serious, but I know he he wishes he could be with us today, so keep him in your prayers. Will you pray with me? Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, O God, lives on. And through us, and will never return to you void. Thank you, O oh God, for the true word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Tradition is a funny thing. And it's human nature to cling to it. And in a lot of ways, tradition is what makes you and me, all of us, who we are. We gather today and every Sunday because tradition says remember the Sabbath and keep it holy or let everything that has breath praise the Lord or come into God's presence with singing. We light the Advent candles all four weeks because of a tradition that was started in 1939 in Europe. That was the first Advent wreath appeared that year. A Lutheran minister uh, working at the Mission for Children created a wreath on a wheel of a cart and placed 20 small candles and four large white candles inside the ring. Red candles were lit on weekdays and white candles were lit on Sundays. He adapted this from the tradition, an older tradition, yet from a Scandinavian practice that helped citizens in that northern European country remember that the long winters would come to an end and that the light would finally return. We've got evergreens here that we brought out, that's tradition, right? The purpose is still the same. All of this tradition that we practice, and we're especially traditionalists during this time of year, they remind us that the light is on the way. The three shortest days of the year are either like December 20, 21st, 22. Maybe it's the 21st, twenty-second, and 23rd. But in the shortest days and the longest nights in the northern hemisphere, is when we celebrate the coming of the light, the Christ child. We love tradition. On Christmas Eve, I've already seen what we do, and I almost kind of knew it. We're going to start out with, O come all ye faithful, right? And uh, while there may be many good reasons for why this has become our habit, the honest truth is we, we keep doing it because it's what we've always done before. Here's a conversation I've never heard at at least a Methodist church. You know, I'm getting so tired of lighting those candles on Christmas Eve. Can we do something else? And when we light the candles, can we sing something besides Silent Night? I've never, never heard that. Why? Because we love, love, love our tradition. I love tradition. There's no logic behind this, I know, but traditions, despite total lack of scientific evidence, they really do become a part of our DNA. Makes me wonder what kind of traditions that you have in your family. We talked about that in Sunday school. What, what traditions really make it Christmas to you? Do you prefer colored lights on the tree or white lights? I bet it's the same every single year. Do you tie... Uh, a real tree on the top of your car and bring it in from Whole Foods or from Home Depot? Or or do you yank that artificial tree right out of the closet, you know? But I bet you do it the same every single year. Do you start decorating the day after Thanksgiving like we do at my house or another time? And what do you eat on Christmas morning? I'm going to guess at your house, because of tradition, it's the same thing you ate Last year. Here's the thing about traditions. The healthiest and holiest traditions are always rooted in a sense of deep and abiding love. That's what they're called to do. And that, my friends, is why we need Joseph in Christmas. It's tempting to think Joseph is not that important. If you heard carefully from Julia's reading... You'll know that Joseph didn't get any words. He's just sort of a silent character responding to his dreams. Nobody gets excited about playing Joseph in the Christmas pageant. You ever notice that? He's got no lines. He just stands there. Jenny McDevitt, senior pastor at Shannon Presbyterian in Columbia, South Carolina, she shared in a recent sermon about her makeshift pandemic-altered Christmas pageant at her church. When they didn't really have the means to gather and practice, because they were, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't gather, um, but they finally did get to gather on that day with masks on. You remember that time? So what they decided was, was they invited every child to dress up as their favorite character in the Christmas pageant, and when the Christmas story was read a couple years ago, uh, the kids could get up when they're character was named well you can guess that there were about 20 marys there walking up right there were dozens of wise men big group of shepherds right and then when joseph's uh when joseph's name was was mentioned not a single kid got up to play joseph right so she taped a paper that said joseph onto her robe so that so that he might get in the story poor joseph right but we really do need Joseph because tradition, as good and as comforting as it may be, tradition can also be our undoing. Now, hear me out. Joseph might be able to teach us about tradition better than anybody else in Scripture because he bucks it. He goes against it. Joseph's life starts out in a normal way in first century Palestine. He's born and raised in Bethlehem. We know that. We know he's a carpenter. Small town uh, outside of Jerusalem. It's this. It's this uh, small town. His family later moved 90 miles to the north in Nazareth. He came from a distinguished family from the house of David, and he was a carpenter and he was engaged to Mary. You were betrothed back then. You had to wait about a year. You didn't live together. Most of the time, it was set up by your your family, with another family. And all of this is well and good until it isn't. Because as Matthew puts it, before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And then we hear, but her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. In the ancient world, Pregnancy outside of marriage brought deep shame and dishonor upon everyone involved. In some cases today, this is still true. Sometimes, but thankfully, not always. But again, Joseph, like every other person in history of the world, Joseph was a product of the time and of the culture in which he lived. And he knows two things. Mary is pregnant. And the baby's not his. I think that's why Matthew tells us so quickly in the very same breath that Joseph was righteous. He was a good man. He had courage to make the right decisions. Joseph was well-schooled in the traditions of his time, of the religion in his time. And tradition taught that if a woman was accused of adultery, the matter was brought to the town elders. If it was determined that her husband was lying, he would be charged with the relatively... Small fee. The guy always got off easy, right? But if it was determined that the charge was true, the woman would be taken to the door of her father's home where she would be stoned to death. In so doing, the tradition of the law stated, you got rid of evil in your midst. If you don't believe me, go today to Deuteronomy 22. I can't even bear to read it. If you want to see the gory details of tradition. That's tradition in Joseph's day. He knows what it says in the Bible. And probably when he went about trying to figure out what to do with this crazy situation. No doubt a lot of people said, well what does Deuteronomy say? What's the Bible say? What does tradition say? And Joseph has a choice to make during this first Christmas. That will be crucial to Mary and this baby Yet to be born, it'll, it'll make a forever effect both on Mary and Jesus. But Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph had courage. But that's what righteousness was thought to be. You go by the book. The purging of evil in order to pursue the good. Joseph could have put Mary to death Tradition allowed for it. But Matthew tells us he was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. And he planned to dismiss her, what? Quietly. Quietly. And that means that Mary could escape with her life. But for how long? We're watching right now the uh, Harry and Meghan on Netflix, right? And when... um, when they, were, uh, married, uh, when they were married and they were in Australia, I think and that is when they had to make the announcements. Talk about tradition, you know, watching the crown and Harry and Meghan. So she started to show, so they, in Australia, so they had to announce it right there. But you could only hide it for so long. Can't help but wonder what life would have been like if Joseph had chose the easy way. Pregnancy can't be hidden for so long. She would be on her own, even dismissed quietly, shamed and dishonored for being a single mother. And odds are that in very soon time, she was not going to last. She and her child were not going to survive for long. Such a decision could save Joseph, though. He'd be fine. But not Mary and not Jesus. Only Joseph could lead quietly. If Joseph had done this, we might have never heard the story of Jesus, at least not in the way it comes to us today. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? Of course, we remember how Mary says yes, but Joseph also says yes to God, to the angel. Joseph's yes comes to be not because of Deuteronomy 22, but because of a dream, a dream in which the angel visits him and says, don't be afraid, Joseph. You take Mary as your wife and you raise this child, Jesus, as your boy. Child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit and you will call him Jesus. The angel simply says, She's gonna have a baby, Joseph, and please raise it on your own. The angel, in essence, says, I don't care what tradition says. You choose compassion and love for Mary and trust. And listen to her. It's funny. You want to see a great model of biblical manhood? Look no further than Joseph, who said yes to God and supported his wife in her calling. That's a man for you right there. That's Joseph. In those days, to name a child was to lay a claim on that child. It was like, I'm making it official. This is my boy. This is my boy. I don't care what they're saying in the coffee shops in Bethlehem. This is my boy. Joseph is being asked to be to be willing to, in uh, Barbara Brown Taylor's uh, quote, I love it, to be willing to believe the impossible, the claim to claim the scandal and to adopt it and give it his name, to not only accept the whole mess but to rock it tenderly to sleep in his arms. That's Joseph. That's why I love Joseph. Joseph is a righteous man, but not in the ways that they probably thought he was a righteous man. No matter what choice he makes, he's a righteous man. But the angel is asking him to choose what has been described as a higher righteousness. This is the important part of Joseph's life. A higher righteousness. The sort of righteousness that's hard to come by because... It's not righteousness that focuses on the law. It focuses on a bigger picture. And it always leans toward love, toward the well-being of others. That's the kind of righteousness that Joseph is about. It pays attention to how our attempts to be righteous can sometimes yield terrible results. It does not ask, what does the law allow me to do? This is what a higher righteousness asks. What does love compel me to do? That's the righteousness of Joseph. What will bring me, what will bring the most light in life into a situation? You know, later on, the boy that he raises, Jesus, will say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know, that's, a, that's an odd thing. It's like, wow, how good do I got to be? You know, how many laws do I have to, how many hoops do I have to jump through? What is Jesus saying but I guarantee you Jesus was thinking about his dad when he said it. Because the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is righteousness that reflects the very character and compassion and love and heart of God the Father. There are consequences to the choices we make in this world. What kind of righteousness will we be a people of? He has to balance the tradition and law on one side and the angel of the Lord on the other. Has to think about how much one person can handle, what integrity means, what are the bounds of commitment. To say nothing about figuring out to whom or to what is he most committed. That is the higher righteousness. It's a lot to think about, Joseph. It's a lot to think about. It's a big question whether he will permit God to be born, whether he will stay in the midst of it all and give his good name To a scandalous child. Joseph says yes. He says, yes. This may be the biggest miracle in the New Testament, right here off the bat. Joseph says yes. And it certainly is the biggest miracle you or I have the capacity to replicate. I may can never walk on water, but maybe I could make Joseph proud in the decisions that I make in regard to other people because I know God is love and compassion. God is always coming to us in ways that will allow us to say no. I can say no. Joseph could have said no. Mary could have said no. We want, to be, we want things the way they, they, that we want them to be, right? And I've probably said no many times. I want a life in ways that I can manage it. God, I don't know if I always need to say yes. That's why Joseph is the Christmas character that we need to be most this year The one that we strive to emulate the most. Because Joseph reminds us that the truest and deepest tradition has very little to do with the right carols we sing. Or whether we light candles. Or whether we put up the evergreens or not. Tradition that lies at the very heart of Christmas. Is the question the angel poses. Will you give give your name to God's idea being born? Will you permit God to be born? Because that is still God's intention. To be born, to be with us, to be Emmanuel. Where else might that angel appear? To whom else might that angel whisper this scandalous invitation? In what moment might that angel tap you on the shoulder and ask you to live a life of higher righteousness? Like Joseph, you'll have to make a decision. You see, Joseph knows his Bible, but he reads it through a lens. So important. He reads it through a lens, and it's a lens of the character and nature of a God who is loving and kind and patient to us. That's the Christmas story. Therefore, he will not humiliate, alienate, stiff arm, neglect, or ignore Mary, who's so vulnerable with child Well, Joseph, where does it say that in Deuteronomy? It says it in the very nature and character of God. That is Christmas. Joseph is the first person in the New Testament who learned how to read the Bible. If tradition or the Bible calls me to abuse, neglect, neglect, stiff arm, belittle, cut out anybody. If my interpretation, of the Bible is less than love, then I have chosen the wrong interpretation. But I'm feeling good about Christmas already. Baby isn't even born yet. It's Christmas already because of Joseph. The man who will raise Jesus is a righteous man and he's going to do right and he's not going to choose the easy way out and he's going to teach his son how to be a carpenter. He's going to hold his baby even when it's crying. And he's going to teach Jesus Christ our Savior about the very heart and character and love of God. Joseph is a righteous man. And in Bethlehem, or in Fondren, or Pearl, or Jackson, or Meridian, or Madison, wherever there's at least one person, like Joseph, it is already Christmas. Choose the higher righteousness. Let us pray.